we are in the beginning of a new year. 12 months, 365 days, and only God knows what 2021 holds. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Millions have made resolutions for the new year. They want to be healthier. They want to be kinder. Want to be a better parent, better boss, better teacher, a better pastor, better spouse, better child, better neighbor, better Christian. You name it, it's been resolved. The word resolution means a firm decision to do or not to do something. Many of those resolutions have been broken probably already. Today is January 4th. Um, because some of them are just maybe more difficult than what you expected to begin with. <coughs> when I was a regular at the gym, membership was way up. At the end of the year, the beginning of the year, where people were going to get themselves back in shape, they're going to lose weight, they're going to be healthier. Well, membership didn't match the participation. There is a lot more membership than there was participation. There's some people that you would see, you know, maybe Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for a week or so, and then it was Monday and Friday, and then it was Wednesday the next week, and and you wouldn't see them for a few weeks, and then you wouldn't see them at all. Uh, a quote from the, the Wounded Warrior, without commitment, you'll never start, and without consistency, you'll never finish. How true that is. And an old saying from, I'm not sure where, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. How true that is. Okay, I'm not saying that you're going to go to hell if you break your New Year's resolutions. Okay, that wasn't my point. I've always felt you're better off keeping your New Year's resolutions to yourself. Because then nobody knows when you've broken them. Uh, as a Christian, we should feel that we make New Year's commitments rather than resolutions making a commitment to the Lord. You know, I'm going to do a Bible study on my own or with a friend. I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to find um, one or more people uh, that I can be accountable to. And, you know, that's what we maybe need to be looking at as believers. But whatever you feel the Lord leading you to do, is what you should do, not what somebody else does. Now, Diane and I and some of our kids and some, a couple other friends of ours, we have uh, committed to doing the Chronological Bible. Uh, chronological Bible um, does just that. It puts the Bible in chronological order. It's not laid out that way when you pick up a Bible. Okay, from Genesis to Revelation did not happen just like that. Uh, because today we're on day four and we skipped from Genesis, I don't know, maybe 11, something like that. And today's readings were in the book of Job. 
So gives you a whole new outlook on outlook on God's word. So you got to see what God has for you, and it's not too late to get started. So let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your word. We thank you that your word is as true and as relevant today as when it was uh, put down in scrolls hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And so, Father, we just give you thanks that we can uh, find the direction that we need for our lives. We can find out how to be that better parent or better spouse or better employee, whatever it may be that we may have resolved to be in this year. So, Lord, we just give you thanks that your word is so readily available to us and that um, we have no excuse for not being in it. So, Lord, as we look at your word uh, in the portion that we're going to look at today, Father, just open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and let the Holy Spirit guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the Lord tells us this in Isaiah 43, 19. This is a New Living Translation. It says, For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. Okay, God was promising the, the people of Israel that he was going to be doing something new, something different, and that they needed to become aware and looking for what it was that God was doing. Uh, sometimes we want to do, you know, things our way, and so we don't look for what God's doing. <clears throat> we look for what we think we should be doing. But I thought with a new year, I should change things up. Uh, my messages are usually about a subject, you know, whether it's stewardship or faith or love or sin or, you know, whatever it might be. So for the next, I don't know how many weeks, but I'm going to look at some different books of the Bible. I may look at a book for just one week, just take a, a portion of it, or it may be two weeks or five weeks or eight weeks or however long it takes for us to get through it. So, however, I feel the Lord leading me to do that. So we may get deep into a book or we may just kind of take a quick look and move on. Uh, there's been several different books I've been thinking about, but one seems to keep popping up all the time, and that's Peter's Letters to the Believers. Peter, the rock. Peter, the denier. Uh, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said in the NIV, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Bible scholars disagree on whether Jesus was saying that the church would be built upon Peter or the church would be built upon his beliefs. Uh, my feeling is, what difference does it make? Okay, God wants us to build the church on him, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 1. Okay, Peter starts out telling us um, who he is writing. Okay, in verse 1, he says, uh, this is to God's chosen people in the New Living Translation. In verse 1 also tells us 
that they are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, uh, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter was hoping his letter was going to reach a lot of people in a lot of different places. He wasn't just writing to one church in one specific area. He was hoping that this was going to get passed around, passed down, that others would be able to uh, read what it was that he had to write. And it has gotten many places because it's reached me in Oklahoma and it's reached you wherever you are. So verse 2 it tells us that we've been chosen by God because it says God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Now, being chosen by God is an awesome thing. Now, let's say that you're uh, an athlete or maybe you're a musician or a singer or whatever and you get chose by your favorite team or you get chose by you know your favorite singing group maybe or orchestra whatever it might be okay but being chosen by God is like billions of times better than that it is God choosing you or me not some um, NFL team or NBA team or someone that thinks that your musical is choosing you it's God that has chosen us knowing that you're a sinner and all but he's saying I want him on my team I want I want her to be on my team as well so it's God giving you and I the undeserved chance that we need it's God giving you and I the opportunity that nobody else can offer so now you know that you're included. So what does Paul have to say to us now that he's gotten our attention and telling us that God has chosen us? Well, in verses 3 through 12, Peter goes into depth explaining what has happened in our lives. Okay, it tells us that we've been born again. It tells us that we've been given an inheritance and not just an earthly inheritance. We've been given a, a priceless inheritance. Now, you may have a rich uncle someplace that's a, a billionaire or many times billionaire and, you know, could leave you that inheritance. But what God has given you is priceless. It's more than what you could ever have because in that you've received God's protection. You've received joy in trials trials well why do we need trials you know what's up with that well verse 7 answers that question because it says these trials will show that your faith is genuine it is being treated as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And so these trials are something that we need to endure, but for a good reason. Peter tells us that our faith needs to be tested. 
to be sure that it's genuine. When our faith is tested, it becomes stronger if we allow that to happen. Our faith can be tested and we can say, well, I don't know, man, this is more than I can handle. This is too much for me. You know, maybe she can do it, you know, or I know he could handle this, but uh, that's not for me. It's just too difficult. Or we can welcome the testing, saying, I know that when I go through this, that I'm going to be better. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to gain from it what God wants me to gain. And here the, the Greek word for trial means testing for trustworthiness. So the trials that God lets us endure are his way of seeing if we're trustworthy or not. I need that testing. Why? Simply put, there are times when I would fail the test. Okay? There are times when I'd say, I, can, can I get a do-over? You know, can I get a, a retest? You know, can I, can I try again? Okay? Because when I fail the testing, I have two choices. One is to be satisfied with the results. You know, you know, I, I tried, but, you know, I just couldn't do it. And, you know, let's just move on to something else. Or I can say, I can do better. You know, I, I know that God doesn't want me to fail in this testing. And so I know that I can do better than what I've been doing in the past. And so, Lord, just give me another chance. You know, test me again. Because I don't want to fail God. You know, he needs me to pass with flying colors. I need me to pass with flying colors. Because God's testing is always for a good reason. First Peter 1, verses 8 and 9, it might sound a little bit familiar to you. This is a New Living Translation. It says, you love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. <clears throat> In John chapter 20, okay, it's after the resurrection, and Jesus appeared to the disciples, but Thomas, he wasn't there. Okay, he doesn't tell us why he wasn't there. Just says that Thomas was not with the other disciples at that time. So Thomas didn't believe. He said, you know, unless I can put my finger in the nail holes and I can put my hand in his side where the spear was, you know, I'm not going to believe. Well, Jesus comes again, and Thomas is there. Okay? So this is what it tells us in John 20, verses 27 to 29. It says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Okay, so... Thomas had to see Jesus in order to believe. He didn't believe the other disciples. 
But when he saw Jesus, he believed. So that's what Peter was was telling those that he was writing to. You know, you you don't see him, but you trust him. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Blessed are those who believe and haven't seen me. So Peter was referring to those that Jesus had mentioned, those believing without seeing. Now, we know that Peter had lived with Jesus for three years. And it had been a time that was, there were still times it was hard for Peter to believe. Peter had heard the teachings. He'd seen the thousands that had come to listen. He'd seen the healings. He saw Jesus take a boy's lunch and feed thousands and thousands of people with it. Okay, he had seen all of that. So if you're a believer, Peter's talking about us because we believe even though we haven't seen him. You know, I know, you know, people say, well, you know, I can see Jesus in creation and in the sunrise and the sunsets and, you know, and that's, that's true. You know, I'm not doubting that. But Peter and I are talking about seeing Jesus, the physical man, Okay, that's what Thomas needed to see, was the physical Jesus. And, you know, other people, I'm sure, were the same way. You know, if Thomas, who had been with him for three years, been with these other disciples and knew them, and they're saying, yeah, Jesus was here. And he's saying, nah, I don't believe it unless I see him. Okay, some of us, unfortunately, have been that way. Verses 10 through 12, Peter is writing about the prophets and how they wanted to know more about what they'd prophesied. They wanted to see their prophecies being fulfilled then, not down the road, not in the future, not hundreds of years from now. They wanted to see their prophecies fulfilled now. <laughs> I don't blame them. I would too. You know, if I'm prophesying some great thing that's going to happen, that, you know, the Messiah is going to come that they've been looking for and waiting for, and you're telling me, oh, he's not coming today or next week. He's not coming for another 500 years or whatever it may have been. So Peter kind of makes a turn in, in what he's saying, starting in, in verse 13, because now he's starting to tell us how to, to better live as a believer. In the beginning of verse 13, he says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Okay, so Paul talks a lot about self-control as well. Okay, and you know, it's something that, that I know that I need is self-control. Because as I was writing this, I'm sitting next to a big bowl of Hershey's Kisses. And chocolate is my favorite food group. Okay, so that's just to mention one area where I need more self-control. And, you know, we're all, we're all there, I believe, at different times. But no doubt the Lord put this on Peter's heart. Because let me give you the King James for that first part of 13, okay, where in the, the New Living Translation, it said, so prepare your minds for action and self-control, exercise, self-control. In the King James, it says, 
Wherefore, gird up your, the loins of your mind. That really paints a different picture. Okay, the loins of my mind. Hmm. You know, I never really thought about that before until I read that. But the message gives me something that I can relate to. Because the message says, so roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Whoa. Things are about to get serious. So I need to get serious as well. Unfortunately, I often come to this conclusion about the times that things are getting out of control. Okay, then I finally decide, ah, you know, I need to roll up my sleeves. I need to get my mind in gear. I need to be more serious about whatever this is. So where's Paul going with all this? Well, let me read on. Listen to the rest of verse 13 uh, through 16. It says, put all your hope, okay, not some of your hope, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you, is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Oh, no pressure there, right? You just got to be holy. <laughs> Can you imagine talking to somebody about, you know, your relationship with the Lord and, you know, how they really need to give their lives to Christ and you're explaining, you know, how everybody is a sinner and all that. And you're, you're telling them all of this. And then you say, oh, by the way, you have to be holy just like God, you know. They probably say, well, you know, you really had me convinced until you got to this holy stuff. Because most people don't think of themselves as being holy. But there's three places in Leviticus where we're told that we need to be holy because God is holy. Most of us would say, I didn't really sign up for this holy stuff. But yeah, you did. Me too. Well, we start to get off the hook a little bit in verse 17. Because it says, And remember that the Heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. Okay, if I'm living better than the next guy, I'm good to go, right? Well, listen to the rest of the verse. It says, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Okay, live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residence. All this may sound like more than you can handle. You know what? It is. That's why we don't take scriptures out of context, because it continues through verse 20. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, 
the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. So it's not about you. It is all about Jesus and following his example on how to live our lives as his brother or sister. Peter finishes off the first chapter of 1 Peter like this. He says, Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. There's a lot in those four verses. Okay, It says that you have come to trust in God. You have placed your faith and hope in God. You have been cleansed from your sins. You are to love each other dear or deeply. You have been born again, and the word of the Lord remains forever. And there's five or six messages right there in those few verses. If you're a believer, you have placed your faith, your hope, and your trust in the Lord. You've said, here's my life. I'm giving it to you. I've made a mess of it. I need you to help me straighten it out. You have been born again. You have been cleansed from your sins. You have entrusted your eternity to the Lord through Jesus Christ to be guided by the Holy Spirit. The last part, verse 25, says, And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Let me close with the words from an old hymn. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with the Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The, Lord, the world rushes in. Spend time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. By friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Take time to be holy, let him be thy guide. And run not before him, whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. And looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Take time to be holy, be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Thus led by his spirit to fountains of love, thou soon shalt be fitted for service above. Let's pray. Father, I just lift up my brothers and sisters in Christ to you. And Lord, 
some of what I shared may sound impossible at best because we don't think of ourselves as living holy lives. But the closer that we follow you, follow your word, the holier we become, the more like Christ we become. And Lord, that's the goal, to just live our lives as close to Jesus Christ as we possibly can. And Lord, I give you thanks at those times that we fall, and we fall, and we fall again. You're there to reach out your hand and to help us up. Not telling us to go back to go and start over again, but saying, we'll take it from here, and I'll help you. So, Father, I give you thanks for that. But Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that that has never made that commitment, that they've heard about Jesus, they've heard about creation, they've heard about you, Father, they've heard about heaven and hell. And like many people, they may not believe that either one is real, but Lord, they are. And our final destination will be in one of those two places. And some people uh, joke about hell, and Lord, that's nothing to joke about because it's an eternity in pain and agony. But Lord, we can choose the eternity with you in heaven and Lord, knowing that we'll be living in that paradise. So Father, I just pray that anyone that's not made that commitment, not made that choice that they make it today and that they pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you that Jesus died for my sins. Please forgive me. My life is not what it should be, but you can help make it better. So Lord, I just give you my life. I give you all of my life. Please accept me just as I am, like your word says you will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.